beautiful people. Welcome to episode nine of 321 No Kidding. Here is the conclusion of our interview with Odile. And if you haven't listened to episode eight yet, I would recommend it. It will help put this episode into context. Also, I would recommend that if you try any of the exercises that Odile and I did, that you don't do it while you're driving. Those are my little warnings. I hope that you enjoy this as much as I enjoyed spending time with Odile. And keep in mind, we were looking at each other on Zoom as we recorded this, if that helps put some of the context into it. And here we go, part two. So back to your story. Yes. So you're down, you have no money, or, or money, is, money is a struggle. Right. And you have to, so it's not about how much money you have per se. No, I had, I had less than no money. I was overdrawn all the time. Um, I was in a lot of debt. And um, so I was cleaning houses and then, <clears throat> you know, and doing the odd singing gig and basically living off an overdraft and just, it just kept getting worse and worse, which is why I got to that point where I thought there's no point in trying because I'm never, ever going to get out of this situation. So how did you fix it? So <laughs> the, the first of all, I, I do want to share. So back in 26, uh, sorry, 2006, when I was in the car about to, you know, hit go on that, I, I want to share how I got out of that first, because this is a very um, powerful technique. So I hadn't solved anything at that point. I was, there seemed to be no hope. The scary bit um, was that, uh, it was my son's 10th birthday the next day. Mm. And I thought this was a good idea. I thought this is, so now that I've explained how the prefrontal cortex goes offline, you don't have your cognitive thinking or your judgment or anything. This is, this is an example of it. I thought he will be better off without me. And it, can you imagine doing that to, to a child in time for their birthday, apart from anything else? But it fascinates me now that it seemed so that that was the right thing to do, you know, and now, of course, now that I'm not in that state, I couldn't imagine it. So I just want to share that example that when you are thinking that way, it's because that part of your brain is literally not working. There's no blood in it or very little. So the way it stopped was my, my phone started ringing on the passenger seat next to me and I could see it was my sister <clears throat> and I didn't answer it because I knew if I answered it, she'd talk me out of it. So I didn't want to answer it. I was getting re I was determined this was the right thing to do. And then she sent a text saying, please call me. And I thought, I'm, I'm not going to call her now. But what it did do was it reminded me that she had told me she'd been suicidal before. And many times she suffered from clinical depression and, and anxiety. And she had this technique that when she wanted, when she felt uh, um, that she was going to kill herself, she made an agreement with herself that she'll do it later. So she didn't say, I'm not going to do it. She, she would say, yes, I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it later. And her reasoning was, I know I'm not going to feel differently later. So if I still feel this way, you know, tomorrow, then I will do it. And of course, by tomorrow, then she would at least have come out of that extreme state. So I, it reminded me of that. And I thought, 
okay, so I could wait an hour or two. I mean, that's, you know, I, there's, it's, there's not, there's no rush for this. <laughs> so <laughs> I could, I could get, and I remember McDonald's was nearby and I thought I'll go to McDonald's. I'll have a, a, I wanted, a, I was hungry. So I thought I'll have a burger and, and, and a Coke. And then if I still, then I'll come back and do it. And of course, by then the, the, um, the stress chemicals had come down a little bit and my prefrontal cortex had come back online. I thought, wow, that was, that was close. It was very, very close. Did your sister know that you were like feeling that way? No, she didn't. And that was what was interesting was that timing because she had no idea. I didn't tell anyone I was, you know, you know, I, anyone who's been in that kind of state before will probably uh, be familiar with that, that thing where people say, reach out, let me know if you need any help, you know, please call me if you need. But when you're in that state, it feels like nothing will help and no one will understand. So, or at least for me, that's what it was like. And so there was no point in speaking to her, uh, in telling her any, or telling anyone anything because my mind was already made up and nobody else would understand. <laughs> that That's how I felt about my relapse, you know, cause right. I had had over two years clean and I, Decided I was going to the casino. I drove home. I got my, you know, free coupons. Yeah. I called someone. I I talked to one of my friends, but never told her what I was up to. Right. And yes. It's the casino. So you're absolutely right. If I did tell her, I mean, maybe if she asked, are you on your way to the casino? But she would never ask that after two years clean. Right. Of course. Um, so I totally can, can relate to those feelings and understanding. So right. for my, Oh, sorry. For my gambling audience then, or, or the addicted audience. Yeah. One of the takeaways could be tell yourself to wait. Don't right. do it now. Do it in an hour, do it tomorrow. Right. And that's what I've done with my other things that I've been addicted to or, or habits that I've wanted to, you know, like I want to do, um, you know, uh, I want to eat healthily, but now I want a cake or crisps or whatever, or ch uh, chips. Um, <laughs> then I will say, okay, I can have it. Because sometimes saying I can't is, is the word, it, it makes it more, you know, then you're arm wrestling with the thing. So then you go, you, I can have it. I just won't have it now. I'll have a cup of tea and I'll go for a walk. And if I, when I come back, if I still want to, then I'll go ahead. It's that kind of giving yourself that um that little breather time to be able to come back online i love it it's good to know yeah so the way i changed it <laughs> the way i changed everything was um as i say it boils it took me a long time to figure it all out but it, now that i have figured it out i've able i've been able to put it into two main things and that is being able to change the chemical state in the moment to change the way I feel and to bring prefrontal cortex back online and then changing the original childhood memories. So the first part, and shall I take you through the little exercise? It only takes a few seconds. Absolutely. Together. <laughs> All right. So for this exercise, you'll need uh, a subject. I call it a subject and it's just someone or something that you love. 
it needs to be someone that you only feel love and appreciation for. So no worry or missing or longing or guilt or regret or anything like that. Just love and appreciation. So for a lot of people, a pet is a perfect, um, you know, or any animal, even if it's just, you know, I love penguins. It's just, it doesn't matter. You don't have to know the animal. Uh, so animal or a person that you, that you have just love and appreciation for, or for those, because some people can't think of anyone, uh, a person or an animal, it could be a place or active or an activity you love. So I know somebody I worked with used Hawaii um, and someone else used gardening. So it just something that makes you feel love and appreciation. Okay. Have you got something, Bobby? I do. I'm going to go with the animal perspective. Fantastic. Lovely. So take a deep breath, close your eyes. And think of your subject and imagine holding that animal, person, place or activity in your arms in a hug. And notice where in your body you feel the feeling of love and appreciation. And wherever that is in your body, imagine that feeling as a ball of light or energy. And now imagine that light or energy spreading down to your toes and up to the top of your head and out to your fingertips. So you're now full of that light, that energy, that love. And now imagine that light or energy overflowing from you, spilling out and filling the whole room you're in. Very good. You can open your eyes. You just changed your chemical state and brought your prefrontal cortex back online. Wow. Wow. So that is, so what happened there uh, physiologically is that as you thought of your subject and you were holding them in your arms and you imagined holding them in your arms and your hug in a hug, your brain started, you started to bring down the stress chemicals, the levels of stress chemicals, and your brain and your brain started to produce endorphins, oxytocin, serotonin, those feel good chemicals. And one of the things of uh, one of the effects of oxytocin for, so they all have different effects on the body. Uh, one of the effects of oxytocin is the, as, as it goes through the, through the blood vessels, um, it interacts with the little, uh, it's absorbed actually by the little tiles on the inside of the blood vessels. And that produces a chemical that causes the blood vessel to dilate. So it lowers your blood pressure and it, it helps with hardening of the arteries and that. And oxytocin is connected with love and kindness, compassion. Um, it's, it's produced, uh, particularly women in labor, produce a lot of oxytocin it's part of the it's one of the labor um chemicals hormones so but but it, you, if you hold a door open for someone your brain produces a little bit of oxytocin so every time you feel kindness compassion love you're pumping that wonderful chemical into your system and it helps with your heart and your blood pressure apart from everything else that it does so <laughs> That explains, we went, we went to Florida this summer and I think I spoke about it, about us practicing love and kindness on the street. 
when you use right. that in the door example. So it really was, it was like the light you just had me spill out in my room. I was kind of spreading to everybody in Fort Lauderdale and Miami. There you go. There you go. It's exactly it. So the, the program that we, so we have a program that uh, is like a physical, a physical exercise program, fitness, physical fitness program that conditions your brain and body to produce more of those, those feel good chemicals, just to live from a state of unconditional love. So the program takes you from this little exercise that we just did now over four levels to where you're living from. So I live in a state of unconditional love now. So, uh, and that, that was the first part of my transformation was I developed the ability to do that. And that completely changed my life except for the finances. And that's where I'll get to in a minute. But in the first instance, I was, I felt calmer, I was, uh, life wasn't so much of a struggle and conflict and um, the fibromyalgia went, the IBS went and all of that through this little exercise. And I was certainly a lot less stressed about finances. My finances increased, uh, improved a little bit, but it was still up and down. I still couldn't pay my bills. And that's where the second part came in with the childhood references. But this little exercise and another little one I'll give you just very quickly and you'll see it doesn't take long. So you can do this all day, you know, just whenever you think of it, do it and it'll change your state. And the earth. So here's something. So, so many thoughts in my head. <laughs> I understand. <clears throat> but this is powerful is that it only takes 60 to 90 seconds for you to change the chemical state of your brain and body to change from stress chemicals to feel good chemicals, as long as you're keeping your focus off the trigger. So if you are able to, and you don't even have to do this exercise, if you're feeling triggered, worried, stressed, whatever, if you're able to keep your focus on something funny or something exciting or something you're grateful for, or somebody you love, whatever it is for 60 to 90 seconds without going back to the bad thing, you've changed how you feel. That could be a challenge sometimes. It can. And it becomes, so the earlier you catch it, so I call it zero tolerance. The slightest negative thought or feeling, I immediately catch it and change it. So the longer you spend with the negative stuff, of course, in real time, the, the more you're pumping stress chemicals into your system, the higher the levels of stress chemicals, the more difficult it is to change it because stress chemicals are more powerful. So it takes longer and it's more difficult to change, to switch it. But um, so I think of it like a tap running or a faucet. Uh, if you've got a, a bath and you've been running a hot, the hot water tap, to turn that hot water tap off and the cold water tap on, you're going to need to leave the cold water tap running for a while before that temperature of that water changes. And you need to leave that that hot, but if you keep turning the cold water on, then switching it off and running the hot water again, you, the water skin in the bath is going to stay hot. That's, so that's what kind I'm of. I'm, I'm currently taking a TM class, Transcendental Meditation. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. And I'm really struggling with doing the mantra, and then all these thoughts keep coming. And yes. it's, it's, I'm only not even two weeks in, but to practice shutting off those thoughts is just that practice. And I could feel like 60, 90 seconds doesn't sound like a lot of time, but to keep those other thoughts away, that's it. I struggle sometimes. 
So what I would advise there for, for those who work with us is <clears throat> when, you, when those thoughts come up, love them. Mm. fill them with light. So this light thing that you've just done, this little exercise, aim that light at those thoughts. Because when you're trying to push something away, when you're resisting something, you're engaging with it. So it keeps it in your experience. But if you look at it and you go, it's okay, sweetie, I love you. Then there's nothing to push against. And then it, it's much easier to let it go because the pushing against or the fighting or the trying to ignore, the trying to get away with from is stress chemicals. Wow. Love, love is the opposite. Wow. <laughs> Thank you for that. Wow. You're welcome. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. I can't wait till this afternoon to practice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. okay. So another thing is do that little exercise before you start your TM. Good idea. Start with that. Start from that state and that'll make it easier as well because then you've already changed your chemical state before you start and then it's easier to keep it up. The other little thing I just wanted to share with you is if you imagine yourself as a child standing in front of you right now, any age, and then imagine giving that little you a hug and tell her you love her. That's another very powerful little technique to do throughout your day. I know the audience can't see this because it's going to be just verbal, but when you brought me through the exercise and just now even saying picture the little girl, I can feel my face. I, you're making me smile just by going through these exercises, like no control I'm just smiling <laughs> naturally. So nice. I can feel it working and hopefully nobody tries the eye closed thing when they're driving. Oh yes. Yes. Don't do that while you're driving. <laughs> I'll have to mention that in the intro, but yeah. uh, hopefully, you know, people will try it and it, it really does. It comes naturally that, that smile and that like warmth, love feeling so that's right yeah. giving me quite the gift today <laughs> you're very welcome and then just to share with you how i ch changed some of the references for the finances because this might help others as well is so there's three questions how do you know it's a problem and in my case the, it i knew it was a problem because i didn't have enough money to pay my bills second uh, question was how does that feel and for me it felt like People want something of me and I don't have it to give. I want to give it to them, but I just don't have it. And it was a gut-wrenching feeling. And I immediately burst into tears and I was, it was <laughs> a lot of, a lot of um, drama. But um, where did I feel that in my childhood? My whole childhood. Uh, so it felt like, and it was nothing to do with money. It was expectations. I was expected, they were expecting me to be something that I couldn't be. And so as an adult, that was being represented by my relationship with money. So I was, we recreate the same state, the same feeling as adults that we had from experiences as children, but just with different props different props and costumes, different scenarios, right? So uh, that was one, now there are lots of different references. It's, it's seldom going to be one thing. So another one was that money represent, and I'm going to share these with you so that people can for the, see for their own, see their own stuff. Uh, another thing is that money represented my dad. So when I work, because I asked myself, how do I know it's a problem? So another problem with money was that I kept expecting money and then it wouldn't show up. So I should have got, you know, I, people didn't pay me, a contract would fall through. I, you know, people were supposed to buy this thing, they didn't, and there's no explanation. And there never seemed to be any good, any reason. It seemed, be, it seemed 
I was failing beyond all logic. You know, there was no reasonable reason for failing. And so how do I know it's a problem? Well, there was that. How does that feel? It feels like I can't even express it because it's just mind boggling. And, you know, it makes no sense. Where did I feel that my childhood and it, or, uh, oh no, that's right. Sorry. That actually wasn't those, it wasn't those questions that led me to this one. It was, if money was a person, who would it be? That's the one I wanted to share with you. If money was a person, who would it be? And I had always thought it would be my mother because my mum used to struggle with money. But when I asked myself that question, it was my dad because my dad left when I was about three years old. He disappeared and no one knew where he was. And we were told he was coming back. So I spent my whole childhood and teenage years expecting my dad to turn up at any minute. And of course he never did. So, and I was telling the kids at school, oh, my dad's going to come back. And of course he never did. So then I was recreating that with money where people were supposed, money was supposed to come in and it didn't. And there was no explanation for it. And it was, it seemed illogical and all of that expectations is a swear word in recovery. I truly believe that. Right. Right. Oh, it's yes. so dancing. Yeah. So and then, I, sorry, I, I also wanted to answer your question from earlier of um, the, the sort of uh, conflict between, um, uh, you know, falling, it's sort of falling into the same trap and forgiving yourself for, for falling into the same trap. So that kind of thing. And I, I see it as if you are playing, if you're learning to play an instrument and, you know, you, you pick up the instrument and you start learning the scales and then you make a mistake and you don't give that any kind of meaning. It's like, well, I made a mistake. So it doesn't mean that you can't play the instrument. It doesn't make, mean that you'll never play the instrument. It just means you need to practice again. You just need to pick it up again. Or um, another thing is like with um, physical exercise, if you do some new physical exercise, you'll come up against resistance. You'll get sore muscles. And if you didn't know that getting sore muscles was part of the process, it's part of the, the, the um, part of getting stronger, you would be calling an ambulance. You'd be going to the doctor and saying, there's something wrong with me. I'm never doing exercise again because it just makes it worse. <laughs> but you know that it's part of it. And um, so slipping back is sometimes part of the process. And the sooner you catch that and go, okay, I understand. And what I would do, what I do is I, I would go, um, right. So what happened? Where was the point where I changed? Where was that point where I made that decision or where I, um, where I slipped back, where I, I didn't want to. And I'd find that point and then strategize and go, okay, so next time that happens, because like you were saying about expectations, it's, it's knowing that it will probably happen again. So it's, it's not expecting because it's when we expect to be perfect, that we have problems because then we're shocked and surprised when it happens. And that's when we buy into the failure. But if you know that it's, you're going to have that happen and you, and you plan a little strategy and if that strategy doesn't work, that's okay. You'll just plan another. So it's being strategic rather than emotional about it mm. that I think helps. And then there's no blame and there's no being hard on yourself. 
but I think that has to be com combined with changing the childhood references as well, because the reason for the addiction, what's driving the addiction is subconscious references from childhood. It's not the addiction itself. Yes, there's a chemical element to it, of course, but the original. So like you was, I think uh, you said earlier, if it's not that, it could be something else. You know, so uh, you stop gambling, but then it's maybe drinking or smoking or whatever, because it's it's a coping mechanism. And if you take one coping mechanism away, you, you need another one. And so you want to replace that coping mechanism in the first instance with something that's, of course, um, uh, valuable to you, you know, supportive of you. So like meditation or, um, you know, a hobby that's that feeds you, that that gives you um, gives you that connection that that you that you're looking for and as well so that's the short-term solution the long-term solution is to go back and change the childhood memory so that so what you're aiming for is that you had a fantastic childhood so you were born into a loving family they loved each other they loved you you were treated with love and kindness and affection and respect and encouragement and supported and you felt safe and you had a fantastic school life where you were popular and you got A pluses all the time and the teacher was using you as an example because you were so fantastic. You did all these extracurricular activities and you were a star at all of them and so on. You wanna build that foundation. And what we do then as well to support that is change your parents' childhoods and your grandparents' childhoods because if they had had different childhoods, they would have been different people and they would have treated their children differently. And those children would have grown up differently to be different people and they would have treated you differently. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of information, I know. <laughs> it, it is, it, it is, but it's great. It's excellent information. And I love that because of what you said in the beginning surrounding the chemicals and the hormones, you just made it so simple. My message is I want self-care to help people avoid, yes. you know, relapse and that kind of stuff. And, and you're breaking That's it down in a, in a fresh way and an easy way. So you just said it, replace the cortisol and the bad stress hormones with the good stuff, you know. Right. So I really... And you do whatever it takes to do that. That's, yes. I wonder... When you talk about changing, I don't know if you run into this with your clients, is there a struggle for people to let go of, because it, it probably feels yes. like it defines them on some way. Like I shared with you, I want to be the opposite of, or yes. I want a man that's the opposite of my biological father or, or whatever. And it's, it's almost like you're you're relinquishing your control and your mentality and your whole belief system. Right. Absolutely. And yes, uh, you know, as humans, that's a very strong part of, and very often, the, you know, the more um, challenges that, that you've been through as a child, the, the more, the, the less, uh, sorry, the, the harder it is to let go of a lot of that stuff because it's part of your protection system as well. So there's a couple of different things at play there. So one of the things is that we are designed to stay in alignment with our tribe because being 
without a tribe. We're, as humans, we're not designed to survive alone. So if a child, especially a child, if a child is kicked out of the tribe, it's death. So our subconscious does whatever it takes to keep us in alignment with what we grew up with simply for survival purposes, even though we consciously don't want that. So my husband had one of those references where, um, you know, he had reached, this is before we met, but he'd reached a ceiling in what he was earning and it wasn't very high and he wanted to earn more with his business, but he just couldn't for some reason. And he traced it back to when he was a child, his father was a mechanic an auto mechanic and his father would come home at night and at the dinner table, talk about the working on the rich bastards cars, bastards, sorry, <laughs> rich <laughs> bastards cars. And, um, and so his little subconscious took that to mean it's dangerous to have money because my dad will reject me. Wow. So made that connection. And so whenever he re was about to earn more money, his subconscious would guide his judgment and his decisions so that he would end up not, not making it, not getting it, failing. So that's one aspect is of not letting go. We're subconsciously staying in alignment with whatever we're used to, even if it's not what we want consciously. And then the second part is, yes, we have that, um, that feeling that, but this is what makes me who I am. And this is fear of, of who will I be if I let that go? Now, the question to ask is, who do you want to, because if you're happy with who you are, then there's no reason to let anything go, <laughs> right? <laughs> but if you want to be wealthier or healthier or happier or whatever that is, then that's not who you are right now. So if, I'm, if I suffer from anxiety right now, and I want to be uh, without, without fear, without anxiety, if I want to, a happy, peaceful life, then I do want to change who I am. But what it doesn't do is it doesn't change your essence. So the essence of you was when you were born, that was the essence of you. Everything else is programs. If you had grown up in a different family and treated differently, you'd still be you but you would have different coping mechanisms. Okay. I understand. Does that make sense? It does. <laughs> it's yeah. a tricky one and it takes a while to really grasp and really make peace with. But you know, the, the bottom line is we all have, or, or most of us have an idea of where we want to get to. I'm here now and I want to get to there. And if you think of it, uh, another analogy I use is GPS coordinates. So if you want to drive to, um, and I usually say Florida, but you're in Florida, right? <laughs> so if you want to drive to California, uh, let's say you want to drive to LA, but you've got the coordinates for Chicago in your GPS, your GPS is going to keep directing you off the route to LA and to Chicago. And you can keep turning around and trying to get back on the road to LA but your GPS is, keep, is going to keep trying to get you to Chicago. What you have to do is change the coordinates of the GPS to say LA. Then it's automatic. You don't even need to try. And so that's what we're doing. So when you change your childhood memories to I was loved, I was treated with respect, I was safe, I had a fabulous childhood, 
we, we had abundance, my parents were happy and wealthy and healthy and all of that, then you're changing your destination automatically. Wow. <laughs> so that kind of picking California to me, is that where like the law of attraction piece comes in because you've already decided you're in California and you're not going to Chicago? Right. Uh, partly. So this is why, so I went the whole law of attraction route as well. I did the secret and I followed all the teachers. And one of my biggest frustrations was I was doing exactly what they said. I was believing I already had it. I was doing all of the feeling and, and thinking and all of that. I changed all my beliefs in that way. And it was inconsistent and unreliable. And the reason was because that was me constantly getting back on the road to LA, but my GPS coordinates still said Chicago. Okay. Right. So I can, I changed my, I was thinking I'm wealthy, I'm wealthy. I, and I could feel it and I could see the money in my, the balance in my bank account and all of that. And nothing changed because as I was doing that, my subconscious was referring to the so-called fact, the evidence from my childhood that, um, I'm supposed to be in a state of expecting something that never happens. And I'm supposed to be in a state of, I don't have what they, what they want from me. So I can't have enough money to pay my bills because then I won't get to feel that state from my childhood. I'll be, I'll not be in alignment with that so-called truth, that evidence. So another one I had was, uh, I discovered was, um, a, I used to go into fight, freeze, flight when I had to invoice someone or ask to be paid. I was terrified of asking for anything. And so um, I, I remember I went to send an invoice and I mean, it, it was work I'd already done, but I was like shaking. I was like, this is ridiculous. And I discovered a link that when, I, when we were children, we were taught, if you ask, you don't get. And it was kind of a manners thing. You know, you wait to be offered. You don't, it's rude to ask. And so if you are like, can I have a cookie? Well, now that you've asked, no, you can't. You have to wait to be offered. Now, that's all very well when you're teaching children manners, but it's completely impractical as an adult, of course. So I was unaware of that consciously. So what was happening was when I went to ask for work or I would do a singing gig and then I'd be, I wouldn't want to ask to be paid. I would, I would be terrified to go up and ask to be paid because what was happening was as I thought of asking to be paid, my subconscious was referring to the so-called fact. If you ask, you won't get it. And then prompting my brain and body to produce those stress chemicals, the fight, freeze, flight state. But my conscious mind didn't know that that's what was going on. So I was, my conscious mind was thinking, um, I'm charging too much. They won't want to pay for me. They won't want to pay that. I, nobody wants what I have to offer. It, I'm not valuable, all of that kind of thing. So you, you and your husband and your, your company have ways to help people process how to change that and how to get that fresh perspective. Yes, and, indeed. And also how to identify the childhood traumas to right. program. That's it. Yes, indeed. And so we have a free starter pack, actually, if you want to, if you'd like to let them know about that. So it's just, uh, you go to our website, which is theremitmethod.com 
and you can just fill in your uh, your first name and your email address and then we'll send you the uh, mp3 guide of the little exercise i did with you earlier and then uh, like a cheat sheet that explains what the refer what the subconscious references are a little bit about the childhood memories and then a video that will take you through changing them nice well that's very awesome of you guys to offer free it's um, a pleasure by the time I publish this, I'll figure out how to put all those links in the show notes (laughs) so that people have access right from their, you know, device if they're mobile. I did take your money quiz. I thought that that was pretty interesting. Um, I think it would be interesting to have taken it five years ago or 10 years ago to where I am now. Um, I think I'm going to always have a weird relationship with money, you know, Right now, when I was gambling, there was never any money for anything else. Or, right. you know, Dunkin' Donuts would raise their price 10 cents a cup and I'd bitch about it, but I'd lose two weeks' paycheck in an hour at the casino. Yep. Now my mentality is, and, and I don't know, you got me thinking, you know, again, my childhood was not very lucrative. So mm-hmm. is it that I'm used to not having money in the bank? Now I'm putting money out there that I reference it as, well, now I have something tangible or I'm investing in myself. I still don't have like a big bank account, but I could have lost this at the casino just as easily. But now I have a new computer or a new training class or I'm traveling or whatever that is. I I still haven't gotten over the hurdle of how to have money in the bank. How to keep it. Yep. Yeah. So can I, can I ask you, um, well, this is for everybody listening, actually, those with, with any addiction, but the gambling addiction in particular, a couple of questions you can ask yourself is number one, when did you first start gambling? So some people will have childhood references of their parents or, um, or some experience as a child where maybe it was a game or something like that. For other people, it'll be later. It doesn't matter. But so when did you start and what, what else was happening in your life around that time? So these are little clues to get you to the original reference. Do you want me to answer you? If you'd like to, absolutely. Yes. So there's, there's two times, like I can remember being little and it's part of our family dynamic, you know, playing poker with nickel dime and, and, um, there was happy associations, you know, going to my uncle's to my aunt's house and, you know, that kind of stuff. And then I can remember it turning and sneaking into the casino before I was legal. Yes. And, and, you know, back then I had an income tax check, pitily hundreds of dollars, you know, going back 20 something years. And I ran right to the casino and blew my whole income tax check. Right. As a, as a minor. So, okay. So that is, that's a great example. So um, those early memories of the child of uh, being with your family and the poker and all that. So that's really good. Those are some good memories there. Okay. So this is what we would do with that. So um, take a deep breath, close your eyes, go to one of those memories, just however that's represented for you. You got it. Got it. Good job. And I want you to notice the connection between you and your family and that fun and that love and whatever those good feelings are, just home in on those good feelings. Can you do that? Good job. Very good. And now I want you to take the poker out or whatever game you're playing, take that out. And instead I want you to put in some other activity. 
a fun activity. So it could be a, a water fight or a trampoline or um, a, 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 some sort of game. Can you do that? I got it. We're playing Big Boggle. Very good. And I want you to notice that the connection is between all of you and it's nothing to do with the game. The connection and the love is between you and your family. And it could be anything there. The, the game is not where the connection is. The game is just a game. You got that? Yeah. Very good. And so now I want you to replace all of the gambling with Boggle. Can you do that? Mm -hmm. Very good. So all the, all the gambling, whenever you think of gambling, it's giant boggle. Got it? Got it. Good job. You can open your eyes. How does that feel? Interesting. And so now what I want you to do is when literally moving forward, whenever you think of gambling, put boggle there in your mind. Because you remember that your subconscious can't tell the difference. And if you do that, like you would learn a new phone number, then that is what your, your subconscious will replace that reference. And especially practice that memory of you and your family, the connection between all of you, that feeling of connection and the giant boggle. I like it. Okay. Good. So hopefully that will help some others as well, give you an idea of what you can how to change those references. That sounds awesome. I appreciate you practicing on me so that they Oh, can it's my it. pleasure. I love, we love what we do. So I can, I can do that all day. <laughs> I can tell. I, I think, um, well, first let me put it out there. Is there anything else major that you want to cover and speak to and then we'll go offline for a minute? Yeah. Um, I don't think so. I think that's, that's everything. What I do want to say is that of course, if anyone has any questions or anything, we have our Facebook group. So, um, obviously that's free. Just, uh, pop into there. It's called the Remit method and, uh, you can ask questions in there, get support, um, and encouragement and read through any other information that's there. Well, that sounds great. And, and just visiting your website, I mean, you have so many free goodies and nuggets on there. Um, it's, it's worth definitely visiting. And again, as I get a little more technologically savvy, all your stuff will be in all my places too, my Facebook and my web. I have to say that if there was a selfish reason for creating a podcast and doing this podcast and in the fashion that I'm doing it, it would be to have exposure to all the things that I'm learning from people like Odile. So, so very grateful to have her time and her knowledge to share with you and with me. The last little thing, order of business we need to take care of is our positive quote for the week. And of course, I can't pronounce the last name, but this one comes from us from Swami Vivekanda. I'm sorry, Swami, if I messed that up. But we are responsible for what we are and whatever we wish ourselves to be. We have the power to make ourselves. And I think that some of the tips that Odile gave us today can help with that. Until next time, thank you. So long. Uh,